As of this moment, as I'm recording here on a Monday morning in February, I don't know, 23rd, something or other, um, I have not yet released, it's the 22nd, I'm sorry, I have not let, yet released uh, Baby Sally Talks episode number 48, which was all about PodCamp Toronto, And uh, but I'm, I'm here in my car and I'm keen to get going and... Uh, Put that weekend behind me and reconnect with the uh, the listeners who I um, stopped podcasting for two months ago when I set off on my journey to uh, Australia and uh, Bali and ending up in Vancouver before finally getting back uh, exactly a week ago tonight. I showed up I, this time uh, a week ago. I was on a flight. Let's see the time. Oh, well, you got time differences and all that crap. Never mind. Anyway, I'm flying home Monday, and uh, now it's Monday again. And I've been here for a week, and it's been a very productive week. I've uh, caught up on bill paying and sorting through mail and mailing things off and uh, reconnecting myself with people, actually preparing a talk for PodCamp, attending PodCamp Toronto. And uh, now this week, it's a week of uh, other important things like... uh, Going back to my dentist for another cleaning. I go on a regular three-month basis, I guess. And uh, then seeing a specialist about my back pain and what maybe can be done about it on Thursday. I'm um, (laughs) counting a lot on that because I'm really at the point where... uh, I don't know where I was when I left off, but uh, my my walk has progressively gotten worse. I've had back pain for 30-plus years but in the past two years, that's gotten worse. The past year, it's really started to decline to the point where everybody's noticing, hey, what happened to you? And now I have a, a very real case of something called drop foot where I'm just clumping away with my right foot. I don't know where the problem is or how you solve it. I just know that uh, it has all the signs of something that may be a uh, permanent condition, heaven forbid, because I heard an ad on the radio for... Uh, people with uh, drop foot and some of the orthopedics and things they could get to maybe uh, make it a little easier walking and think, holy fuck, I don't even know, you know, which foot is the problem. But anyway, I hopefully I'm going to find out a little more Thursday, so uh, stay tuned. Somebody just pulled up behind me in this parking lot. It's another beautiful sunny day. Spring has arrived early here in Toronto. But I hear it's coming back. Uh, pardon me, you're going to be hearing some sipping noises as I have a giant roll-up-the-wind-to-win Tim Hortons uh, large coffee because at PodCamp Toronto I won, as did many people, a free coffee. So there you go. Listen, I've got beside me something that just came in the mail from Mr. Adam Greatrix of Surrey, British Columbia. He said, what's your address? I got something to send you. Holy Christ, I hope he didn't have to pay for this. Jesus. Well, (laughs) we'll go no further there. But a very nice package. I'm going to open it up on air. uh, Because it's a good reminder to other listeners that you don't have to send me money. That's only for the Dixon Jane zine, right? If you haven't already paid for that, that would be a good time. Um... On that note, I did mention it at my during my podcast presentation, but uh, I made it clear that uh, it's only by invitation, and nobody said, "Hell, can I have one?" Unfortunately, so um, but we still got we got about sixty five readers now, or people who are actively 
subscribing and uh, looking forward to uh, next edition, the spring edition, which is coming out. Deadline, I think I said was March 30th. So that's over a month away. If you're hearing this now or whenever you're going to hear this, probably by the end of the week. Um, if you got something to put in, send in. And if it doesn't get in this issue, it'll get in the next one if it meets the editor's approval. Okay? Won't say any more about how that process works. But uh, anyway, one of the things that people can do who are big fans of the show, my goodness, I've had people in the past send me stuff, and it's always very nice. I, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not asking anybody to send me anything, but it's always a treat, and it's, it's very welcome, uh, much more than a, a gift of $5 would be, like a book or something, uh, some music that I've had through iTunes. You know these things you can get? Now, this is going to be a real bugger to open, but because it's one of these express packages that aren't meant to be opened without implements and scissors and knives and stuff. So, oh, 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 oh we're making some progress. We're going to wreck the envelope, but we're making some progress here. You're hearing it live. This is from Adam Great Tricks. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Growing up with Dick and Jane, a book that Adam kindly thought I should have in my collection, and it is um, it is just that. Uh, I'll the introduction here to the reader. As the stock market crashed in America and triggered the Great Depression, and Europe was on the road to World War II, William Gray was worrying about finding a better way to help children learn to read. Gray, one of the nation's leading reading experts, believed children would read more easily if their school books included illustrations that showed a child's world. A colorful world full of fun, suspense, and surprise, rather than just describing one. Uh, Rather than just describing one. Sorry. Uh, That was in italics. I should have picked up on that. When words were used, he knew they would have to ring true. So, beginning in the late 1920s, Gray began to build the world of Dick and Jane, featuring characters created by a reading consultant named Zerna Sharp for the educational publisher Scott Forsman and Company. What Gray and Sharp and team of passionate educators, writers, illustrators, and editors produced was a map for the classic illustrated book series that taught 85 million children, me being one of them. Okay, that's how Dixon Jane's came to be, folks. 85 million children, how to read from the 1930s through the 1960s. I didn't know it went back that far. I mean, I'm always, I had these in the 1950s when I was in Valleyfield. Growing up with Dick and Jane takes us back to the seductive watercolor world where we learned how to read. It's a world where night never comes, knees never scrape, parents never yell, and the fun never stops. For schoolchildren who lived through the Depression and World War II, the world of Dick and Jane must have read like a dream. But for baby boomers, this is my group, okay, and that's who the Dick and Jane zine is aimed at. For baby boomers lucky enough to escape the suffering of their parents and to be born into a post-war paradise, the stories they read in the first few months of the first grade felt like their everyday suburban lives. Boys and girls, this is this is gold. All right. Growing up with Dick and Jane, the name of this book, steps back in time and re-enters the world of mid-century childhood. Remember holding a Dick and Jane primer for the first time? Remember the thrill, the exact moment when you knew you could read? Here it is again, the green grass and blue skies, and here are Dick and Jane and Sally. So, folks, I want you to make the connection here if you're new. The previous podcast I did was called Dixon Janes. The one you're listening to right now is called Baby Sally. Okay, Baby Sally talks. Because uh, she was the third character who we didn't know much about because she was just a baby. Uh, and I've already explained that in Dixon Jane Zine, so forget it. Dixon Jane Zine goes back to uh, all those times because all the circle of friends who the Zine was originally meant for were baby boomers. Okay, who knew what we were talking about. All right. Uh, Dick and Jean and Sally, mother and father and Spot. That was the dog. Oh, they've left out Puff. Puff was the cat. 
Okay, and happy, the happy, happy family. Now, as grown-ups, we can see a bigger picture how the optimism of these little books is seen alongside the turbulent event of the times. Turbulent events of the times. Telling the story of a country defining, pursuing, and living the American dream. Now, of course, this applied, applied to Canadians as well, because uh, that's how we learned to lead. A wonderful book, full of pictures... And I think, of course, what's so interesting, they introduce each of the characters here, a lot of background to go with it, a lot of meat here. They're tying it in with television, with comic books, uh, things like Lassie, uh, Leave it to Beaver, um, and excellent, excellent reference, uh, Adam Greatrix of Surrey, British Columbia. You win Listener of the Month Prize. Uh, and this is a special one, Listener of the Month Prize. Listener of the Month Prize? How could it be? Because this is the first one. Yes, going forward from today on, right through until the end of March, you hold the title. So, uh, folks, if you're wanting to be Listener of the Month, uh, you've got to come up with something pretty damn good to beat that. Uh, on the back cover, if you don't mind. Uh, Growing Up with Dick and Jane is a nostalgic pop culture adventure that invites the millions of children who grew up reading with Dick and Jane to revisit the innocence of childhood. For those who weren't lucky enough to have Dick and Jane as friends, this entertaining and informative book traces the phenomenon from their birth during the Depression to their retirement in the turbulent 1960s. And that's the key, folks. The 60s came along and blew them out of the water. That world no longer existed. And that is... The crux of what Dixon Jane's Baby Sally, all this is about how everything changed from that start and that optimism and that hope. To suddenly the world gets real. Hey, young boys who grew up reading this are being sent over to Vietnam to die, get maimed, and kill people they know nothing about. All right. Here's a chance to revisit Dick and Jane's world, to remember the thrill of learning to read, and to recapture American childhood in the 50s. Growing up with Dick and Jane and its accompanying sampler of original stories and cutout dolls reminds us why Dick and Jane, especially their dog Spot, have become American icons. Now, I don't know for the life of me why they're not including Puff. Here's Spot, but there was a cat called Puff. Come on. Puff. Oh, there it is. A whole page on Puff. Puff is a soft, purring ball of fur, Jane and Sally's tiny orange kitten. Cute and cuddly, Puff is as frisky as Sally is curious. Pretty Puff, both civilized and brave, unties mother's apron strings one day and plays fearlessly with barnyard animals the next. Silly Puff gets tangled in a big blue ball of yarn, trapped in a tree, and sent on a harrowing swing ride. It's a good thing Puff has nine lives in a previous life, circa 1930s. She was known as Little Mew. Didn't know that. With a new name, oh, so maybe the name for my next podcast, Little Mew. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, with a new name, she became more adventurous. Puff steps in wet paint, oh my God, chases and breaks balloons and is always knocking something off a table. But she is not bad. Puff never claws the furniture or picks fussily at her food or jumps up on the dining room table. Playing against type, Puff is not aloof. She never, she'll ne- she'd never walk away from an affectionate pat. Puff even gets along with dogs. Lucky spot. Puff's rarely seen alone and seldom disappears to take a nap. Puff is a smarter cat than most, and can jump rope a lot better than Spot. In the 1960s, she's going to ride on Mother's modern vacuum cleaner and watching other cats on television. All right. One more character, Tim. That was the teddy bear. We're not going to read about Tim. Thank you. But uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, isn't this beautiful how all this ties together? So uh, what have I got to say? Oh, and here's the accompanying little reader. Oh, a commemorative collection of stories. And here we are. Cut out dolls. There's Jean and there's Dick. Though they could stand up. I will have to uh, scan images of these for uh, for the uh, graphic to go with this um, with this book. With this podcast, I'm sorry. I'm too busy. All right, we're going to put that away for now because this whole thing can't be just about how nice other people are and how thoughtless you are who don't send me gifts. No, 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 no. That's not the tone we want to strike here. That's not what this is about. I'm just, um, 
I made reference to... <laughs> boy, oh boy, do I dare go here. Yeah, why not? Um, to podcasting royalty uh, on the past podcast. The term that I'm going to point the finger at Rob Lee. Uh, and it was in reference to what I said on the previous podcast that you still haven't heard as the time of this recording, but uh, you will hear. Um, that that closed group, and I'm saying closed, it's not really, it's, you know, it's permeable, uh, of uh, people who were at the earliest pabs and pod camps and so on, and right away, as soon as I posted that, something that, uh, hey, we need little hats with beanies or something to identify ourselves, because nobody, I made a, what I thought was a funny comment, hey, we were sitting at the table so-called the podcasting royalty, not called by Dave Broadbeck or John or uh, Bob Goyetch. No, no, no. They don't like royalty. That's fine. Good. Good for you. Um, and sort of uh, poo-pooed that idea, of, of course, rightly so. However, I don't know that these people those of us at that table who don't want to appear smug at all, in very real terms, may not just be a little bit, and I'll, I'll include, this will be the royal we, a little bit full of ourselves thinking we are pretty damn shit hot because we were there from the beginning and we've, we've got a long history and we know each other and we've attended a lot of conferences. Nobody wants to come across that way. No, 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 no. We're not better than anybody else and having an earlier starter does not make you any bit in any way superior to any other podcast or podcast wannabe at all. We just don't like the word royalty. But what I'm saying is there are some groups in any subgroup of podcasters, ours being one of them, who self-identify. Maybe the word hasn't come out there, but you can't tell me that people who put out shows such as Marshall McLuhan Variety Hour don't think pretty goddamn highly of themselves for the wonderful stuff they're putting out there. And so they should. Nothing to be ashamed of. You put out a quality program that is of very high value. Of course you want CBC to pay attention and to make note of, you know, how much we really are doing. I'm saying we again because I'm not trying to weasel out of this. And, uh, you know, that, hey, 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 don't forget us, right? There's lots of other people out there, but hey, hey, over here. So I'm just saying, eh, don't call it royalty, but uh, there's another word in there. I don't know what that word is, but, uh, you know, that's all I'm saying. I've already stirred up enough shit, and that's one of the things the Scarborough dude used to like to do. Ken doesn't do that as much. Tries not to, anyway. Ken tries to be sensible. That's why I left the party. Uh, you know, time enough to... Uh, no, I didn't know I missed the train. Yeah, well, anyway, I didn't get too wasted. I was fine the next day, and I made it back in for the Sunday morning, Okay. But, um, you know, come on, come on, let's, let's be real here. Let's be real. There's an awful lot of name-calling. There's an awful lot of tossing around the term douchebag who anybody else, anybody who doesn't quite fit what this self-identified group thinks are the right boundaries, okay? Anybody who crosses certain boundaries is a douchebag, one of those other people, an idiot, uh, what's the term Dave likes to use? Uh, a hack. You know, in comedic terms, of course. But, uh, you know, let, let's, I'm just saying let's, let's be real um, and uh, not try to pretend we don't think we're pretty special. All right. No, boom. Done it. Let's park that. Boy, that's not very pleasant, is it? God. All right. Uh, now I'm starting to, I'm getting all excited. I'm starting to spill coffee on myself. I guess it's time to wind this down, but... Um, what did I learn on my, uh, trip? Hmm. It sounds a little bit, um, smug on my part to think, ha ha, I went to Australia and I came back and I learned things. Uh, one of the things I did learn was that I do beat up on myself a lot and I have been hard on myself a lot doing this podcast and that what I thought was a wonderful, wonderful chance for 
therapy and learning more about yourself by just putting out these solo podcasts once a week for 10, 11 years, oh my God, uh, maybe isn't the healthiest thing a person could be doing. And that two months without any podcasting, when I was only dealing face-to-face with real friends who know me totally independent of the podcasting, who don't listen to my podcast, who just know me as Ken, their old friend from way back when, uh, are the people who keep me honest and kept me real. People who actually, on occasion, brought tears to my eyes through just the closeness and the connection I felt through the history of our lives, the intertwined history, the memories we shared. Uh, And that little bit of what I'd call a reality check was, um, was wonderful and warm and touching. And my little blow up at the beginning of my journey, you know, a couple of days in, sitting there at six in the morning, watching the sunrise in a park in Australia, in Melbourne, with my good buddy Chris, referred to as the boy, because he's six years younger than us, seven years younger. I was there for his 60th birthday. Um, the boy, I blew up at saying, hey, for Christ's sake, I've done a podcast for 10 years, the Dixon James podcast, and you and Barnacle Bill have never listened, and you don't know how, I didn't use the word successful, but how important this has been to me, and how there's a lot of people who know me because of my podcast, and I have new friends now, and I've done something, and I created a character called Scarborough Dude, and I've spoken at conferences, and people know me. And I'm even almost podcast royalty. Yeah. Uh. Using that term deliberately, of course. Uh, and I, I blew up. I really, I mean, I really was angry. I was really like, why the fuck haven't you guys even acknowledged this once? You're my friends and not once have you acknowledged something that's important. In fact, Barnacle Bill in particular has just poo-pooed it and made fun of it. And after that vent, that really pointless, stupid, emotional, juvenile vent of mine, it all faded. I don't think I apologized, but it all went away because I realized as I talked to him and other people I met, how full their lives had been and how much they had done in the 10 years I was bragging about my Dixon Jane's podcast that I knew nothing about, their jobs, their careers, their marriages, the raising of their children, all the other things that were going on in everybody else's life who doesn't podcast or is not part of this podcasting world, goddammit. Those people had rich, important, full, caring, wonderful, important lives. And we didn't have to connect to this little intimate field of podcasting. And, uh... That was an important lesson to learn. And I felt a bit sheepish, of course, afterwards. And that it doesn't fucking matter if my friends listen to this goddamn podcast. It doesn't matter who listens, if hardly anybody listens. Glad if you are right now, if you're still there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Stop. Holy shit. Hey, listen, this is Prick. I'm coming coming to you in post-production. Do you know this fucker, formerly known as Scarborough, now Ken, as if, as if there's a difference, for Christ's sake... He's gone on for 44 fucking minutes nonstop. And we're going to put an end to this. So right now, I'm sorry, I'm coming at you. Post-production, we're going to stick in a song here. There's a break. He'll be back. He doesn't even take a fucking breath. So, folks, bear with me. We're going to find a tune, stick it in here, give you a break so you can fucking stop listening to this guy. And uh, sure enough, he'll be back after this song. So, holy Christ. I, on, on a, uh, for podcasters everywhere, I fucking apologize. This guy is long fucking winded. Christ almighty, shut the fuck up, old man! Jesus! Here, all right, here, here's the tune. Cinéma le Paris, demain je serai parti La gare Dakar va ma Il a pas de problème, tout va bien Aujourd'hui je me marie, j'ai confiance Amour, solo, gao, la 
Algérie, Tunisie, Italie, y a pas de problème, j'aime au Manhattan, fast food, Dakar, Sénégal, cinéma, le Paris, ascenseur pour le ghetto, il est minuit à Tokyo, il est 5 heures au Mali, quelle heure est-il au paradis Il est minuit à Tokyo, il est 5 heures au Mali, quelle heure est-il au paradis That is not how I measure my worth or the importance of my life or the importance of anybody else's life. It's a thing. It's a hobby. It's like collecting butterflies or stamps. Except it's a little more out there and in your face. But that that business of me, you know, just needing to get this out of my system. Why the hell haven't you paid attention? Why the hell haven't you given me credit for my creativity? I think that's the, that's the line I was trying to take. I've been creative. I've created something. A 10-year podcast, 500 episodes, a character called the Scarborough Dude, who's all over. Google it. You'll find me. <sighs> Done. Been there, done that, finished, I'm over it. And I'm only telling you this now because I'm embarrassed about it. Because how silly, how petty, how childish, how ridiculous to uh, somehow want to add that into the friendship formula. Instead, the boy and I set off on an absolutely fabulous 10-day road trip together that he had planned and mapped out. Well, he didn't map out left me to do the mapping without any maps or GPS, okay? How's that? 
left me to do the mapping. And he doesn't supply maps or hook up his iPhone, which he had with him. So we can actually find the streets we're looking for in Sydney. No, blames me. Asked me to go and get verbal directions, which I can't handle. So I blew up again because he blew up at me. Uh, that was another turning point, a learning point, a sharing point. We had a fabulous time. Highlight here it is a little town called Malakuta. Malakuta. Well, you, a name like that, you got to visit Malakuta. He had been there three years before with Barnacle Bill. Barnacle Bill had been to Malakuta. Hey, I'm going to Malakuta too. It's only one bar in the town, the worst bar ever. In fact, the second night, here's us, prime drinkers, heavy drinkers, refused to go back to the bar. Bought our own bottle of wine across the street and refused to enter the bar again after they denied us service the night before. Hmm. Yeah. We ended up lawn doing lawn bowls. I'm not allowed to call it lawn bowling. It's a game of lawn bowls, barefoot lawn bowls at the Malakuta Lawn Bowls Club. What a way to spend a day. Lawn bowls. Many, many lanes, I guess you'd call them. I don't know. Uh, take your shoes off. Go barefoot. 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 And uh, learn to throw these very heavy balls that curve amazingly to one side because they're, they're deliberately created heavier on one side than the other. And the only way to get to the point you want to get to on the other side, it's like curling. Think of curling, except instead of throwing a stone out there, you're rolling these balls along the pitch, the field, the grass, to get to another point and beat your opponent. We spent all day, all afternoon, because the wonderful thing is you just step into the bar, club, house, get yourself a beer, and you're out there in the sun playing lawn balls in Malakuta. And of course, the next day is, well, let's go to the beaches of Malakuta and sit in the sunshine and the warmth of Australia in the middle of their summer. Having a wonderful, 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 wonderful time. Uh, so it was a great trip. I'm not going to bore you with all the details and so on, but that was a sort of a highlight, traveling with the boy, a good friend who I hadn't seen. We hadn't seen each other. We finally calculated in 14 years. And yet we just picked up where we left off, talking books, talking music, laughing, talking, drinking, being good old-fashioned buddies and realizing how much... We like each other and how similar we are and how much fun it was to be traveling mates. That was a big highlight. Second big highlight, uh, sorry, not in any particular order, traveling to Bali with my son. He owed me some money. He said, Dad, let's go to Bali to be my treat. This is my way of paying you back. And I said, hey, that sounds like a good deal. And uh, so he got the tickets, booked the hotels, and off we went to Bali for eight days and had a wonderful, wonderful time in a completely different country. And uh, shared an awful lot together. One of the things that he shared uh, while dining at our absolutely favorite, favorite little restaurant right on the beach uh, in the area known as, of course, I'm going to forget the name. But it's not the beach where all the drunken Aussies go to. It's another one. More, more along the lines of where you'd see Europeans, Germans in particular, and other people. A little more mature, a little quieter. A little more upscale, lovely hotels, you know, with pools. Both of them had pools and, uh, you know, of course, wonderful places, Wi-Fi. Um, this special beach restaurant, and we talked, and my son at one point said to me, Dad, I don't ever want to hear an apology about the past. I don't want you to ever go there. We are moving forward. It's our relationship now. And into the future, this is all that counts, and I don't want you to ever. And he was doing this as a scolding, not not sort of giving me, letting me off the hook, but just do not talk about the past and apologize and say how you could have been a better father or this or that. That's over, that's past, that's done. Don't insult me by doing that. Let's make our relationship now and moving forward for both myself and my younger brother, who was, who was back in... Scarborough at the time. And uh, that resonated very, very, very deeply with me and uh, still is with me, and I thank him for it. It uh, it cured away a lot of debris, this idea of, yeah, let go of that. Because you've heard me. If you've been a, li a regular listener of this podcast or especially the Dixon James podcast, podcast, you would have heard me going on about the past. And... Um, 
how I failed through this, could have done that, should have done this. And that's a loser's game. It doesn't help anybody. And an apology doesn't make things right. What makes things right is what you do in the present and going forward with. And uh, I needed that reminder. And uh, that, 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 was, that was wonderful. That was a real takeaway. So there were two takeaways from this journey. That was one of them. And the other one was, of course, uh, don't expect or think that your friends, it's important that your friends listen to your podcast or involved with all aspects of your life because there's a hell of a lot about their lives in the intervening time, years that you see them that uh, you don't know about either. And uh, if you just take the time instead of talking about how great you are and figuring out a little more about how great they are, uh, you'd all be better off. Uh, very, very pleasant time talking with a couple whose names I, I won't bring up. There's no reason to, but friends in Vancouver. So, yeah, let's do three towns, three 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 locations. A Vancouver fellow who'd gone through a nervous breakdown. I just one day just found he couldn't sleep. Was awake in the middle of the night with an awful lot of anxiety and worry. And um, to the point when he couldn't sleep at all. And, of course, when you can't sleep, if you're a warrior, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, you know how much worse it gets. And the longer you go without sleep, the worse you get to the point where you can't go into work anymore and you need a doctor's help and you really don't want to go on heavy meds because that's not the answer. But you've got to somehow turn your life around to get through the worry. And it's not just, in this case, it wasn't just depression. It was more of just a, a breakdown. Like, whoa. And maybe the need to just stop worrying and being able to let go of things and tune into the present moment. And we spent a very long, wonderful, intimate afternoon over lunch and sitting in a park, Kate's Park in North Vancouver, and, or in, uh, yeah, north on the North Shore, um, talking about this, me listening to his story. And I was very moved by it and very touched by it and very impressed that he would uh, care to share it with me. It's another friend from our Vancouver days. Um, I'll park that one now. And maybe one more, the last thought, and again, this goes back to Vancouver, Sitting at a bar of the pint where for every pint you order, you can get chicken wings. And we're doing a lot of chicken wings here to the point by the end of the day, end of the afternoon, you got chicken wings on the table that nobody can look at. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Boy, if, I, if that was here now in Toronto, I'd be going there right now for chicken wings and beer. Oh, boy, what a winning combination. Um, anyway, we've had three friends who've passed away from our tribe. And I, I use this term, tribe. I call up the Dixon James tribe. Uh, you can decide whether you want to be a part of that tribe or not. I think there's a lot of people that say, no, I have nothing to do with your tribe. And that's fine. I don't fucking care. Thank you. I know what it means to me. And a lot is to do with just like-mindedness. And, uh, but another huge part of it is, is shared history. And uh, when our Lachine tribe, Lachine, West Island, Montreal, Moved to Vancouver in the early 70s, we blended in with the Vancouver tribe. People have known each other uh, also in very close friendships. And we became one tribe, a larger tribe, a new West Coast tribe. And uh, it was quite wonderful. And uh, we had people in that tribe who were actually instrumental in bringing us all together. There was dear Richard, who... Uh, a lot of people had a great deal of difficulty dealing with. Uh, Richard decided there was no, really no need for social skills because it really was one of the least important things to worry about. And so when he wanted your attention, he would just either jab his finger or stare at you or talk louder than anybody else in the room. Uh, the favorite trick when we were sitting around a water pipe getting stoned in the early days back in Montreal before we moved west... And would be having these little conversations or little giggles over a toke or listening to a piece of music. And he wanted some information. He would just look at you and his eyes would bulge out of his head. And he would glare in this big face like the Cheshire cat would sort of come at you. And he would say in a loud voice, as a horn, a trumpet, to get your attention. And you could not possibly under any circumstance ignore and so you would have to turn and face Richard and say, yes, what is it you would like? You have my attention now. And uh, 
that's how he dealt with people. Now, a lot of people just take offense at that, find it almost a bullying tactic and uh, really aren't crazy at all. But I was very fond of Richard. He called me. He was somebody who would keep me honest. If there's any bullshit, any pretentiousness about myself, and there's a lot of that, you know. Um, you know, hey, I'm full of it, full of myself, full of my background, full of, you know, who I like to think I am. Uh, he cut through all that bullshit pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, you, you dealt with it and you accepted it. Okay, good. Thank you. I, I probably needed that reality check. Um... I spent a many, many, many hours with Richard, sitting around his big, big red round table. He had that, when he furnished his apartment on Cardero in Vancouver, uh, he went out and got a huge, I do not know how he got it upstairs and into his apartment. I would have been rolled, you know, these, these wire, wooden wire spools, these giant spools that are held to, used to hold cable. This was bright red. Uh, he got that into his apartment, and that became the table we sat around rolling joints and uh, drinking wine and whatnot, and became a part of our uh, our lives. Now, Richard died, that's why I'm talking about this. And uh, his sister thought, i got to get rid of that table, because it ended up at her house out in uh, Richmond or somewhere. And we had a party. I think some friends referred to it as a wake, but in honor of Richard... He died needlessly. Uh, could have gone to a doctor, but he knew more than the doctors. Richard was a very, very bright young man. He was brilliant, but very eccentric. And in his brilliance, he decided he knew more about doctors and was never going to see a doctor and never had seen a doctor. Um, and sadly, that led to his, his death over something that could have been cured with antibiotics. Uh, anyway, his sister wants to get rid of this thing. We go out there and says, no way, this is a historic artifact. This belongs in a museum, and it is now sitting on her front doorstep. This beautiful red cable, and that was part of the eccentricity. The other thing about that was uh, Richard was a heavy smoker. When he, when he started smoking, he decided, why waste money? So instead of buying a pack, like most people do, he went out and bought a carton the day he decided he was a smoker. Bought a carton of cigarettes. Um, and then it was always a bother, you know, filling ashtrays. So he took, there was a hole in the middle of this table. He found a giant jar, 10 gallon, 20 gallon. I don't, I, I don't know where you'd find one of these today, but a giant glass jar. Nailed the lid to the inside of the, um, uh, underneath this spool into the middle. Uh, cut through the lid, so the threads were still there, screwed the jar in, and then over the hole put an ashtray. And so whenever that ashtray was full, he would just pick it up and turn and dump it, and it would go into this giant glass jar. He never had to leave the table. And at you know the end of a month or whatever, you would have a glass jar full of cigarette butts to get rid of, but you'd only have to do that once. Uh, that was just another example of his eccentricity and brilliance. Uh, he was a regular. He attended all the Mother's Day camping weekends, a tradition we kept up for, well, it's gone over 30 years now, I guess. Probably more, 40, I don't know. Um, but he died, so we're remembering Richard. Our other character in that list was uh, Peter. No nicknames for these people. People are our accountant. I was telling somebody about this Saturday night at the party. Oh, my God. Sorry about the noise, but hey, that's what it's like in Bluffers Park when they come to collect the recycled garbage. Uh, Richard, or Peter, looked like an accountant, wore a suit, tied, and we work every day, but was as eccentric as they come. A little bit crazy. Very, very funny. Loved his rum and cokes. That's eventually what killed him. He died of, you know, diabetes and heart and everything else, not looking after himself. Just sort of giving up on life after a point. Uh, sad to see the decline in a person's life to more or less watch somebody die over the t over time. Uh, greatly missed by Barnacle Bill because they were very, very tight friends. Um, Peter was the one who we had fly up from Vancouver to Whitehorse because we had run out of weed and we needed reinforcements. Peter showed up and joined us in the zaniness that was our drunken two-month summer in Whitehorse, Porter Creek, and Dawson Creek, Dawson City, and so on. Um, 
a character who knew everything about the news, what was in the news, read every paper from cover to cover, except that he could never get through them all, so there was always a pile of newspapers beside his recliner. And a wonderful glass table with political cartoons that he sort of cut out and pasted under. So every time you went to Richard's, or to Peter's, I'm sorry, um, you would just look at his table for the the next cartoon, and you, you and they were all they packed a punch, you know. They were they were something that was mentally stimulating. Uh, Peter's was the last place I used a Ouija board at. Uh, scared the shit out of us. We, we all got stoned one night. We were all potheads, of course. Um, toked up, got out a Ouija board, called up a spirit, and the little thing you put your fingertips on flew right off the board, scared the shit out of us. Boom. Lights on. We're not playing this anymore. I'm sorry. There was somebody in that apartment saying, hey, guys, don't fuck around with me. And, of course, nobody ever owned up to, because nobody thinks they did push that damn thing off the table. It just went flying, like, really fast, with a lot of anger, like, whoa, uh, don't don't summon me again, because you'll be sorry. Um, so, Peter was the second person when we were at the pint. The, all these threads connect, right, that we uh, we remembered and cherished his memory, and we're sad to have him go as well. And the third one, a fellow I've talked about before on this, was John, Big John, who was, I guess, bisexual might be a term, at a time when most of us didn't even know what this was all about. He was married, had a wife, and a a live-in artist painter, uh, who, I guess, slept between them. Um, And he threw wild parties. He threw parties like none of us had ever been to before. We're talking like Hollywood-scale parties, like blenders full of drinks, fancy mixed drinks. Uh, And when John was having a party, you did not want to miss the party. He's the one who made himself president of a Canadian hot tub company from, you know, got some deal. Could talk his way into anything. John was born to be a millionaire, never quite made it. Uh, But lived like it. Probably may have burned a few people along the way, but so be it. Uh, made himself president of his hot tub company so that he could get friends to get hot tubs into their homes and have parties which would have more naked people running around. And again, for us, coming up from our suburban lives, the Dixon Jeans lives we lived in in suburban Lachine, uh, this normal world of the 1950s, and suddenly, wow... We lived through the 60s, we were prepared, we were well oiled up and ready for it. But arriving in the early 70s in Vancouver and meeting up with John and getting to John's parties was a blast. We're talking big time fun here. And uh, John, sadly, in the end, he went off to uh, the Czech Republic. He thought he could teach those people about capitalism. And uh, sadly, 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 died of... uh, Lou Gehrig's disease to the point where he was in a wheelchair and unable to look after himself and uh, fortunately had some kind of a caretaker who was with him right up to the end. So three of our friends, each one possibly a little bit older than us, maybe by a year, who I think of as, as founding fathers of our Dixon Jeans tribe, uh, all passed away. And there were many, many occasions during the uh, the ten days I spent in Vancouver where we toasted them, remembered them, and thought it was very important to do that. Uh, and all that they gave us. And again, the theme here is just the power, the joy, the richness, the importance of real friendship in real time with real people. So I'm going to end on that note. I've said more than enough. I hope this goddamn recorder is going because I could not repeat anything of what I've just said. And that's the thrill and the scary part of uh, recording like this when you don't prepare anything because it's uh, it's one shot only. So stay tuned. This isn't the end. There'll be a song coming right after this and then another clip and another clip. You know the drill if you're a regular listener. And if you're a new listener, hey... Contact me. Send an email to Dixon James D I C K S N the letter N J A N E S at Gmail dot com and say, Hey, I'm a new listener and I really like your show or 
some other comment, maybe something a little more original than that. Uh, and uh, let's connect. All right. This is Ken signing off from, uh, what did I say it was? Episode 49 of the uh, Baby Sally Talks podcast. I was determined to go to 100. I suppose I could stop at 50 and get back to Dixon Jane's. I don't know. All right. Take care. Bye for now. Hope you enjoyed the music. Uh, I'm back, and uh, I'm just going to just ramble on for for just a few minutes more. I cannot believe I've never done that before. That uh, I talked for 44 minutes straight. I wasn't even aware of the time. I don't even know what I said. I was probably repeating myself, but it was just this verbal dump, you know, of all the stuff I probably had sitting there having not podcast for eight weeks so uh that's what happens anyway i uh, i want to end on the uh, 60 minute mark i would not expect anybody to go beyond that and i'll start a fresh one tomorrow so i'm just going to give an update it's nothing in particular that i have to say but i've talked before about 
Whenever I get into conversations with people, especially when I'm high, I talk about the specialization of people, the, the DNA, how we all get to be different. We're wired to be different. And each one of us is unique. We are all special snowflakes. Yes, yes, yes. But it really is the case. And so you've got some people who just seem to be mean. Some people are kind and gentle. Some people like to be stomped all over. And there's this broad range of people. And and the purpose for that, the evolutionary purpose, I believe, is just so we can advance collectively as a species. So that we do have people who are rocket scientists and other people who uh, are not and uh, never will be. And uh, that that's just a fact. And we have to accept that. We're each made differently. And, and I think in an ideal world, we will love ourselves for who we are and accept ourselves. But not many people do that. Most people are unhappy or grumbling or complaining about their lot in life and their all the things that are wrong with them and so on. Anyway. <clears throat> Today I met with a uh, a back specialist, a surgeon, uh, because I've you've heard me on this in previous podcasts worrying actually quite a bit about holy shit this walking problem I have the foot problem you know is this is like is this forever and uh, this is a good chance it will be however this guy really seemed to know what he was talking about. And it was just amazing. He had the the MRI, this image inside my spine, showing exactly where the problem lies. Like I have something, I was born with something called stenosis. It's a, a narrow spinal column, right? It's very narrow. So um, over time, you get arthritis on the joints and they, they sort of push back a little bit. They grow and they push against the spine, and it eventually touches the nerve, and that's where your back pain comes from. Well, mine is—he showed you could see the white space where there was room, and then just suddenly it's dark, and there's just no room in there. It's like you know when you've seen an X-ray of your teeth, and the dentist is showing you where they got to, uh, you know, where there's um, gum disease or nerve damage or whatever. You need to have a root canal. Well, this is the same for the spine. Anyway, the guy says, the, the, the end of the story is, I'll get to the end, I can operate, it'll help. Uh, the guarantee is, or pretty well the guarantee, very, very few things that will go wrong. There are things that can go wrong, but odds are certainly highly in my favor. Uh, not necessarily that the drop foot will go away entirely, but that the problem won't get worse. And there is a good chance that if I don't have the surgery, decide not to, I could lose control of the the foot. The damage will just continue to increase on that nerve, and I won't be able to move my foot properly. Um, And it's fascinating stuff. And it was so real, sitting in his office, looking at this picture and seeing exactly where the problem was, you know, on these lower joints. And so what he's going to do is they're going to cut it open and take out three parts of the bone. Just, just not, I, I don't have, I don't need at this point the bolts and plates and everything to hold it all in together. There's only sort of a frontal part and there's a fan, there's a fancy name for it, what they're doing, but they're just taking out part of the uh, bone on, uh, on my spine for one, two, three levels where one of them is, is they're doing an extra for good measure because if they don't, it's also going to eventually be a problem. And that will at least get rid of any of the numbness that I sometimes get in my leg uh, and will lessen the pressure so that my foot can continue to move. And chances are it may not eliminate the back pain that just may be a lifelong condition but I can live with that I, I can live with back pain that's not a problem what I didn't want and what was scaring me was losing mobility like not being able to control that foot and uh, that's that's what shook me up that's what pretty well brought me to tears in Australia one day when I'm sitting as I mentioned maybe looking at this poor fellow in a wheelchair who had spinal damage uh, as a result of a bike accident and I'm thinking gee is this where I'm heading And uh, if all goes well, I won't be heading in that direction. I'll be okay. We'll not be perfect. 
eh? But uh, will not get worse. So I, I left feeling very, very happy, and uh, sign me up. I'll have that done. Anyway, that's it. I'm going to end on that note. I, I don't know if it's, if it's fitting that I put this in here, but um, I've shared so much with you anyway. Why not share what I consider good news? I'm actually looking forward to it. You're only in the hospital, you know, one overnight, an hour, an hour and a half for the surgery. Stay overnight, and uh, you're off the next day. Don't lift anything heavy for a couple of months. And if you're really lucky and the nerve is not permanently damaged, uh, I've left it a bit late, but if it's not permanently damaged, it could actually maybe repair itself. Apparently the nerve will only grow about an inch a month, and it's got to go all the way down to my foot. He said that'll take a couple of years, but uh, it could repair itself. Um, Best case scenario. All right, that's it. Bye for now. Uh, Come back soon. I'm going to be podcasting. I'm going to go to a podcast gathering Friday night at an Irish pub, uh, see some more people who I uh, met at uh, PodCamp Toronto, and just carry on having fun. Drinking beer. Bye for now.